Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Shades of Brilliance. I'm your host, Sierra Venable, and I'm glad you're here today because I kind of want to go back to like regularly scheduled programming. I just moved to London and I kind of feel I kind of feel settled. I mean, as settled as I can. I kind of feel like I'm on vacation every day sometimes. <laughs> and then other times I feel like completely lost. Um, grocery shopping is still I can't get my head around it because I will be like, what do I want to eat this week? And then I'm just staring in the aisles like nothing is familiar. And it's not like, um, I mean, I don't know. British culture is very different from America. So it's weird. It's like, it's like you understand the language, you know, like it's not completely um, disorienting. But then there are things where you're just like, what am I looking at? So it's like my brain is like caught up and then it won't be caught up. And then it'll be like, what? So. I'm like, I just have to get into the fold of things. And I want to talk today about brand. If you're new here, and this is like the first episode you're ever listening to, I talk about a lot of things on this podcast, and they kind of all base in authenticity. I have a lot of questions about authenticity. And I think we're living in such a it would be so easy to say dystopian world. I don't know that we're living in a dystopian world. I mean, it might feel that way. I mean, and it might be that. But we're living in such a disconnected space. I feel like that's more of really what I want to um, articulate here. And what I mean by disconnected is everything that is, is like an abstraction. Like the fact that we use Apple Pay and we just tap our phones on little squares and it takes the certain amount of money. Like it just is bizarre. And so in understanding and creating as artists, I think it's really important to connect to and just have a place to like process things. So that's kind of what my podcast is. I also just love color. Um, obviously it, the name of the podcast is called Shades of Brilliance. So there's kind of a little innuendo about color in there. I felt like when I really started to discover to discover my true artistic gifts, I got very colorful. And I've always been a very colorful person. Like I was the kid who wanted like the neon green jacket for school. And like, I just have always loved color. I've always been drawn to it. And as I kind of excavate those parts of my inner artist, um, I just have become more colorful. It's like weird how you kind of just... Um, you naturally start incorporating it again. So I don't know. I, I, I think that color has a very interesting psychology and I I love it. <laughs> so that's kind of the little intro. Um, I'm really curious though today to talk about lifestyle brands because there's been a lot of news about Matilda Jerf. And I want to say she's a Scandinavian. Is that the right terminology? Ooh, I don't want to come off rude. Um, let me look her up right now. I'm literally going to look it up because she has a very successful brand. I'm not sure that I would call it a fashion brand. I mean, I go to fashion school. I have studied the industry and I don't know. I don't really know what I get from her brand, but um, I think she has a few brands, Jerf Avenue, Angels Avenue, it looks like. But she's really popular. I think she was really popular in Europe. And then she quickly just became like a huge success. 
a lot of the kind of minimalist girls that want to be a little bit more feminine, that want to be a little bit more expressive, like love her. And I am not one of those girls. So I've never really paid attention until she released these patterned robes. It was like these little, um, these really cute um, fruits and um, this cute little pattern with fruits on it. And everybody was getting these robes. I don't know if they were buying them or they were just getting them, but she did this whole overnight to me, to me, what seemed like an overnight collection of like textiles, um, robes. She has a fashion brand. Like that is a lot of stuff to sell. That is a lot of different um, lanes to merge in and out of homeware, swimwear, accessories. I mean, we're talking a huge brand that to me seems overnight. Like think about big fashion brands like Versace. They can't even get their homewares off the ground. So the fact that like young girl bosses are on the internet, they make a lifestyle brand, people follow them and hang on every single photo and every single mysterious post, and they become like a household name. It's really bizarre. And it got me thinking a lot about lifestyle brands and influencers. And what is the new name for that for that going to be? Because I feel like influencer is such a dated phrasing. It's not accurate anymore. We're really looking at products, you know, people that are selling their image and their presence, their perception for large companies. And it's really not, you know, um, overt. I mean, it, I mean, no, it is overt. It's really not in, inconspicuous anymore. Like it is very obvious that these people to the regular human come out of the woodwork, they go viral and they create these huge brands and they have podcasts and they have all these different avenues to monetize. And I just want to talk about maybe the quality I don't want to argue legitimacy because I feel like there's clearly something about her that is appealing. You know, she wouldn't have so many followers, but it makes me wonder like what to what extent is some of this branding just like privilege and financial wealth? You know what I mean? Like I think we're having a lot of conversations now on the internet and we're trying to be very open and honest about the fact that like not everybody can be an influencer. Like, it, it kind of reminds me of growing up as an American. Like, as Americans, we generally have this idea as kids that we can be anything, that like any child in the U.S. can be the president. And I am a manifester. Like, I believe that nothing is impossible, and I stand behind that. But there is some element of class that has to be analyzed when considering lifestyle brands and these kinds of topics. And it is extremely relevant to me that this is a white woman who appears like the mysterious quiet girl, because that's a part of the aesthetic that I'm getting. You know, that is how she's able to sell this kind of ballerina, ribbon, soft, baby pink brand is because of her presence. It's because of the way they can control their perception. As a black woman, 
I will never be able to control the way people see me. Never. Because there are too many narratives and too many racist ideologies that people inherently believe, including myself. Like, it is a challenge for me to excavate those things and address them in my own lifetime, let alone getting somebody else to see me a certain way. And so it really has me think a lot about perception and a lot about the privilege that there is, that that exists for these kinds of women. I actually recently met an influencer. I won't say which one. Not that I'm like some big star or anything. <laughs> like I, I'll, I'll keep that censored as if like 8,000 million people are watching or listening to this. But I met an influencer like in London, like me and my friend went to this really great pub um, and we ran into this influencer. And I, it was such an interesting interaction because I've lived in LA. I mean, LA is like the home of this kind of debaucherous activity <laughs> where everyone's running around red carpets and they're like trying to pretend that they're, you know, oh, I'm special. And I, you know, like I'm used to that. It was very bizarre because we ran into her and she was just like she is online. Like I have nothing bad to say about her. What was very odd to me was that she was very concerned about the way she was being perceived. And it didn't come out until a few days later on her Instagram story. She started sharing that um, she had responded or made a political statement about the um, issues. I don't even know if I should say issues, but the ongoing conflict between Palestine and Israel. And conflict is not the right term, but I'm just trying to brush over that so I can get to the point. Because if I go into that rabbit hole, we'll be here for days and hours. And um, I already am just, yeah, that's a separate topic. Um, she made a political statement about the conflict and about this international um, issue. Again, not not a good enough <laughs> way to sum that up. But that's what I'll call it, the, this international issue. And people were telling her, you know, you're not who I thought you were. And I guess there was some level of like online bullying or blowback that she had received. And I find it really interesting because I could tell in the days prior to this happening, to her making this political statement, that she was very concerned about managing our experiences of her like we were just out at this pub and my friend jumped up off of her chair and was like hi like oh my god just kind of like reacted like hey like I know you and da 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 and they had this quick little conversation and she kind of looked like she wanted to go and she wanted to kind of you know have a drink with her friends and like you know like we they had chatted for a while and I was like oh wow and you know and um and yeah, so it was like a quick little interaction. She went, you know, to another part of the bar and was fine. And then my friend and I left. We left a little bit earlier than they did. And we walked by them, by her, by this influencer and her group of friends. And when we walked back by her, the first thing she said was, oh, did you come back because you wanted a photo? And the silence was like deafening. Like my friend literally was like, no, <laughs> which I respected her. For saying no, because it was just like, 
confusing. And I get that like that's an easy like social blunder, you know, where you're just like you assume something and then it's a little bit awkward. But it's weird. It's like there's this understanding that their perception is how they are sustained. Like if everybody tomorrow decides that she's a horrible person, she doesn't have access to her income anymore. Right. Like that, that is in direct relationship to how they make money. And it kind of reminds me about like autoimmune disorders. I know that's like a random jump to make, but I think the stats for autoimmune disorders is something like 80% of auto people that suffer autoimmune disorders are experienced by women. And there's a lot of questioning as to if that it has to do with people pleasing. This idea that women are socially conditioned to have no needs and to just be okay with everything and be nice and be a good girl. I mean, we're the only species of animal that will smile at our predators. Like we we will be in a trapped in an elevator with a creepy man and we'll be like, ah, yeah, yeah, anyway, I'll see you later. You know, like we're the only species that goes against our intuition. And it's like we're in survival mode in some ways. And so I just thought about, thank God I don't have that experience where I feel like my income is in direct relationship to how people see me. That is crazy. And I feel like that extreme culture is now trickling down into everyday life. Like, I am so paranoid about my social media use. And getting a job or securing a job in the future. Like every everything now for employers is laid out for them on a LinkedIn platform, is laid out for them on an Instagram. And obviously the internet is forever. Like I'm not trying to downplay the severity of, you know, posting online, posting on an internet forum. But there's this huge gap between expression and like all of these social issues, like the job market is a mess. I mean, that's to keep it very simple. A lot of people are experiencing unemployment and just like trying to figure out how they're going to pay for things and how they're going to afford things. And so there's this increase in this kind of internet influencer currency, where if you are within the bounds of white supremacy culture and a lot of people like you, you can enter this like capitalist loophole where you can make like tons of money that I think for a long time was not even like checked by the IRS. (laughs) Like I think the IRS had to make additional rules or had to add like tax requirements for people that were making money off of the internet because it became such a thing. And look, the IRS wants their money, okay? And so it's weird to me as a creative how we kind of are, we're not in the traditional hierarchy of the workforce. You know, we're not considered executives. We're not considered, you know, at the bottom of the working class either. We're kind of like off to the side. It's like we we float up and down this hierarchic scheme because we are needed to express what the CEOs and the people at the top can't express. Like we are the connection point. And even in my job experiences that I've had as an intern, 
you know, at the bottom of the totem pole of whatever career, I was working with the CEO at like 20 years old. So I had a direct relationship to upper level elite management. And I don't say that to flex. I say that because it's very clear to me that the workforce has no idea where to place creatives and we're needed. But I feel like I constantly have to market myself. Like I'm not only marketing myself all the time in my job, but I'm also doing the marketing. Like it's such a weird, intangible thing to do, to be an artist. It isn't, it isn't, there's no tangible, oh, you know, you filed a hundred papers today. That you, so you get paid for this. Like there's no way to measure what we do and the depth that we take it. Like I'm thinking about clients work at lunch. I'm thinking I'm when I first wake up in the morning, I'll have an idea. Like I'm never really off the clock. And so to see really young people, not even it's not even about age. It's more about people in general that are generating these huge I mean, I think year year to year, what is it her year end growth last year was like $250 million. Did I make that up? Let me get the right stats because I'm on the internet. So I need to make sure. <laughs> oh my God. What is it called? Um, revenue. <laughs> I'm like, what is that word? So Business Insider reported that she made $34 million in sales in 2022 from Jerf Avenue. She's 25 years old. Like that is incomprehensible to me. And I feel like in a capitalist world that is like, oh, good for her. You know, like we, we innately value any kind of financial or, you know, um, yeah, any kind of financial success. And it kind of makes me think about like Kris Jenner. Like she is praised as this like genius who has created this really unique. First off, what did she have to sell of her soul in the process of that? And so it kind of like, like lifestyle brands just don't make sense to me. I don't know. And and it's like, I understand the aspect of the creative landscape where like, it's so ambiguous, but getting big brands and getting and, you know, building these brick and mortar experiences off of your image, off of not even your image, off of the way people perceive you. That's really important here. It's the way people perceive you. I can't imagine what that would be like to sit down and consciously think of that. And unfortunately, we have to. I'm basically talking in circles at this point. But like, I don't know. I'm just... I, I guess I'm trying to wrap my head around it right now. And I think I also want to touch on aesthetics here because there's a really big connection between influencer culture and aesthetics. And I think people criticize fast fashion a lot for like the trend cycles being so fast. I blame influencing and internet hype because it's like this constant idea especially in the Western world, that like you are what you buy. I literally talked about this today in class, like this concept that because we're so connected to consumerism in the West and because we value it so much and our society is set up this way, 
we believe that like this is how you're supposed to live. Like the, the things that you're purchasing suggest something about who you are. And that is very true. I mean, look at Amazon. Like the fact that I can jump on Amazon, buy a bunch of stuff that I don't need and have it delivered to me in two days. Absolutely. That principle applies. What are the things I purchase say about me? You know, and I think internet celebrities or brands in general capitalize so much from that but it's there's something even more powerful when there's a human being attached to it you know like there's a lot of us who might love a brand you might like levi's because of this like classic american heritage and you know all of that kind of wild wild west california messaging they deliver in their marketing it is such a different ball game when you see a real person you know on their instagram story and they're on the coast of Maine or they're traveling, you know, like to sew these subtle hints and to, and to string along these subtle hints of lifestyle. It's honestly amazing to see. Amazing in like a, like a shocking way because it's so believable. You know, like it's so... It feels so real. And it's not that it's not real. It's not that all influencers are fake. But there's definitely a relationship now with aesthetic that is unhealthy. And I really want to dig deeper in this, this quarter or this semester of my master's program, because I want to understand like the levels of maximalism and capitalism. Because if you study maximalism as a movement, like a lot of us have this belief that like, oh, everything is minimalist now. It's not. The minimalism that we're seeing is really maximalism. It's really, really bizarre because there are people who have, you know, marble ceilings, you know, marble walls, marble this, marble that, one little chair, you know, a little stone colored crop top and a pair of blue jeans like it's maximalism it's presenting minimal but it's really maximal and when you study the history of maximalism it's such a fascinating thing because it's really elitist by nature right i mean the aristocrats they could afford to get their photos taken most families could not get somebody to paint them like that was too expensive wallpaper I've literally studied wallpaper. Like how many of your grandmas had wallpaper in their homes? Because when it finally became affordable for the average American, when I say average, I mean white people, to buy a home, they, in the 50s, they draped everything in wallpaper. And the decadence of the velvet couches and the ornate sense of decor, it literally was a response to the Great Depression. And so you see this kind of intense maximalism when people feel the worst. You know, there's isolation, there's depression, there's war, there's casualty. And so it's really, really, really bizarre because it's like, 
I don't know that people like Matilda Jerf are doing anything absolutely amazing. You know, I don't think they're doing anything out of the ordinary and completely incredible. I think they're capitalizing on the trends. They're capitalizing on this kind of societal downfall. Like this is this is really what has happened in history. Like history repeats itself. And I did an entire project on this in my trend forecasting um, class in fashion school. And I, I was shocked to, to see what I what I saw in the in the books and in all of the research that I tried to find. Cause there's not a lot of research on maximalism. You kind of have to find and study like um Victorian era life and draw instances because let me look I think yes I just looked up some images and yes this is like like I said the curtains the chandeliers I mean the aristocrats like that was the excess and the grandness of that era and it was unattainable And so it just makes me wonder, because I'm a maximalist, I'm a self-titled maximalist, and I think I'm confused and concerned that I have conflated maximalism with consumerism. And not just consumerism, like extreme consumerism, like this ridiculous Western notion that more is more. And I think there's levels to it. Like, obviously, there are maximalists who who are thrift shop. They buy things secondhand, you know, like they take into account the little details of every single thing that they own, whether that be accessories, whether that be their wardrobe, whatever. And I think it can be done sustainably. But the way, again, it's like these people to me just seem like they're capitalizing off of like the de- the, the general depression of a collective that doesn't really see a way out. And to me, it connects to nihilism which is the idea that um, like nothing exists, essentially. I'm looking up the actual definition because I don't want to get it wrong. Um, yeah, it's the rejection of all religious and mor- moral principles. So it's, yeah, the belief that life is meaningless, that you have to then create meaning. And obviously this kind of thinking or feeling is on the rise with war and with destruction and with all of these dark things that as Westerners, we can't do anything about. Like I'm sitting in the comfort of my apartment right now, like just in horror, in horror, but with nothing to do. It's the weirdest, most honestly disgusting feeling. And I think to cope with that, we shop. We go to Jerf Avenue and we find little ribbons to put in our hair and little ballet flats. And I hate to like reduce someone's life work to that because I don't think that this is an intentional thing that this woman is doing. And I want to give female entrepreneurs another a, a second chance. You know, I think I don't even know that she's not reading the room. I don't even because it doesn't seem controversial to me. It just seems like somebody who is uh, building something that wasn't going to have longevity anyway. You know, 
Like, what is the longevity? What is the intention? Can you build big projects with intention and sustain them for long term? I think a lot of us question that. That's why a lot of us are just like, screw it. <laughs> like, we're, we're questioning what is the point, right? Why would I work a minimum wage job? Like, what is the point? Like, what is the longevity? What does the What will the world look like? I think Gen Z is really struggling with that because everything that our parents told us what happened has not only not happened, it has been a dumpster fire in the worst way. Oh, don't worry. One day you'll have a family. You'll be able to buy a house. I'm looking at the housing prices going, what are you talking about? My mom is telling me, oh, and I have grandkids and I'm going, who is having children? Like it doesn't, I don't think they can comprehend that there is no energy to put into a future. And I hate to, I don't, I don't even want to be um, a doomer, you know, this kind of doomsday person. I'm very optimistic and I have a very tight vision board and I believe in manifesting and creating the life that you want to feel instead of experience or have. Um, and even I sometimes am like, if it's hard to see a future and think of the future right now, the only alternative is to be really in the present. And that is really difficult to do for people who are starting out in the workforce, who are basically just starting our lives. You know, we're 20-somethings who are just beginning life's process. Not even just beginning, but you get what I'm saying in terms of like getting a job, making the money, you know, doing the things that have always been done. And so I think there's a unique and really beautiful opportunity to do something different. And I, I've used this podcast to explain that before because I really don't want to hang up on this doomsday, everything sucks, the world is drowning type of mentality. Because if I'm being honest, as a black woman, I can't. I literally can't spend time doing that because it really looks bleak for us. I mean, I can't, I can't focus on it. I literally have to keep going and finding the meaning of life. I no longer feel like I have to focus on the resilience. I am allowed to just be happy. And I had to like really uproot a lot of my colonial ideas and my colonial beliefs to get to that place. I just, you know, if aesthetics and identities have a relationship and if, you know, an authentic identity creates an, an authentic aesthetic, is there a way you can buy yourself into it? Probably not. And so I don't think my professional opinion, because I'm a professional, period, I'm literally getting a master's in this. So I feel like a professional. <laughs> I've decided I'm a professional. Um, my professional opinion is that lifestyle brands will not last. I don't think there's longevity in it. I think you have to create the intention. And I think it takes guts. Like I, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't even want her to be bullied off of the internet and like, you know, I mean, I don't know. There's definitely been this, I think the main issue with Matilda Jerf from what I've heard is that she basically was like copywriting everybody that did anything remotely similar to what she had done um, with the print. And honestly, you can't copyright or trademark 
bananas and strawberries. Like the fact that that is like cottagecore, sweet girl, princess aesthetic is crazy to me because I feel like at its core, cottagecore is sustainable. It's like hanging up your linens on a freaking clothesline, you know, and like making good with what you have, creating beauty in what you have. So the fact that now we're we've, we're so we're like connecting these corporate consumerist ideas of what um, cottage court is to people like Matilda Jerf who just like have decided they liked strawberries. Like, I, it, do you see what I'm saying? Am I going crazy? And I feel like that in its essence, the co-opting of original intention and meaning and creating a big brand is not going to work. And I think that's everybody's goal right now. A lot of these privileged, affluent women, they have it in their mind that this is their goal. And a designer that I want to highlight, because I feel like it it does no good to just tear people down. I kind of want to highlight somebody that I think does a good job. It'd be easier to explain this in the form of an example. If you've never heard about Hanifa, you need to go find them and fall in love with them. It's a Black-owned fashion company run by Anifa, and it's the best, it's the single-handed best fashion company that I've ever come in. Like, I don't, I don't know how else to explain. It is so intentional. It is so merged to her audience's needs and their desires and her needs and desires as an artist. And I think it makes sense that it's a Black-owned business because Black women seem to be able to do authenticity really well and very naturally. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, one of them being that we just can't afford to be inauthentic. Like, for example, if Hanifa had come out and started copywriting everybody and was like, oh, you can't use orange, only I can use the color orange, she would never have a company. I mean, we have to ride such a delicate line. And I think as a brand, she is very successful in her corner of the business. And I don't even want to say it's a corner because it's a really successful business and it doesn't seem to be growing at like exponential, like ridiculous rates. And it's not a lifestyle brand. There's lifestyle branding tied into the brand, but she takes risks um, all of her visuals are very appealing. She uses black models. It is the most successful or one of the most successful brands that I know of that is very clear about their perspective and their image. And I don't even know that big brands are doing this anymore. Like, I don't even feel inspired by Chanel, by any of those big brands that are supposed to be like super amazing. I'm tired by those brands. And so, there's this special niche right now, and please reach out to me if there's other brands that remind you of Hanifa, because I would love to like create some kind of dialogue about these brands, because I'm sure there are more, where they're kind of this in-between, I don't even want to say they're in-between, because they're not small brands, like they're doing a lot of really important work, but they're not on this like global stage in terms of like Prada and Versace and but they're not lifestyle brands where, you know, the entire premise and principle of the brand revolves around 
something that is not attainable, right? And it's it just seems so rare to me. And I feel like these are the kind of brands that are standing through thick and thin. And I just worry that everybody now wants to have a brand. And I've said this before. I think influencers want to be creative directors. I don't think they really want to run brands. Um, Because as somebody who has studied branding, like it just, it's not consistent enough to really make any sense to me. Like, I don't know, I guess the intention is there, but it's constantly conflated with like what they like. And that's not what a brand is. It's not about operating your perspective. And I think that that, that, that runs out. Like there will be a certain point of time where her audience is no longer enthralled with her because they just don't care or because she gets canceled or because, you know, because of what's happening now. And unfortunately, I think the internet has been waiting to have this conversation and she kind of became like the fall guy. And for that, I feel bad because it's not exactly fair, but I do think that seeing what I saw on TikTok and, you know, all of the trends really made me want to do this podcast because I just feel like there's this lack of expression in the world right now. Everyone is feeling like they want to feel more connected, more expressive. Like they want to, they want their actions to directly impact something. And, um, I feel you. I am one in the same with that need. And I don't know that building a brand and making money is the way to fulfill that desire. And I think that's why this kind of stuff triggers me to think differently because it's like, are we brands? You know, like in order to have access to expression, do I need to build something that I'm not proud of? You know, like, I don't know. I think this podcast has created more questions than it did than it did answering any, <laughs> which is good. It's good to, you know, just have dialogue sometimes. But I'm hoping that this resonates with anybody, especially for those of you that are like seeing these people traipse around and like they're in Dubai and then they're in Turks and Caicos and they're just like traveling and they make money while they sleep. And, you know, you just feel so behind as like a young person, as like a 20 something. It just feels like, what is wrong with me? Like I'm going into my corporate job confused on what I'm having for dinner. And there's a 25 year old just traveling the world. Like it's not there. There's, there's something deeper. And I think the ride of life is different for everyone. Like I hate to end on such a cliche, simple note, but that's really the truth of the matter. And I think any one of us deserves, you know, to invest in our passions. But I really do believe that that starts way smaller than we think. Like I don't think the answer for everyone is to have a brand. All of a sudden they're working with a fashion company. The amount of celebrities that have a fashion clothing line. Why? Like, it's it's such tired marketing. And as a civilian, it doesn't really get me to purchase anything. <laughs> like, I'm not running to the mall because Kourtney Kardashian has a collab with Boohoo. I literally don't care, you know? Um, and I think people are itching to do creating of their own. 
I think that's why customization, you know, personalization is such a big thing right now because people want to feel like they are impacting something. And I'm not going to lie, it comes off a little narcissistic to me that, you know, these people that we glorify that have created these brands, you know, are trying to block everybody from the empire. It comes across very like, you know, you're copying me. And it's just like, dang, like that was really the wrong place in time to create that kind of environment. And like I said, I think all of these ideas that have been swirling the social space have landed on Matilda Jurf. And for that, I don't think that's fair Um, because I get it as a business owner. You know, if you're thinking very capitalist, you've got to protect your IP, your intellectual property. But I don't even think she got the trademark. I, like, I don't even think that, the, the, like, how can you get a trademark for strawberries? Like I said, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that works, you know, but I don't know. This is my... I don't know, my random brain dump of what I think about lifestyle brands, influencer brands. And I actually compared Matilda Jerf to Kim Kardashian at one point on my Instagram stories because I was like, not even Kim Kardashian, like the OG influencer. Essentially, her in Paris like created what influencer even means now. Not even Kim Kardashian does that. Like her brand Skims generates lots and lots of money because it has the appeal to the everyday woman. Like somehow her marketing is so elitist and does not even like engage a regular human being, yet real women like the products and see themselves reflected in the products. So I, I, you know, there really is not much of an excuse. I'm like, if Kim Kardashian can do it, Because certainly her intentions are not in the right place. I'm sorry. Um, So I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I have a lot of feelings. I have a lot of statements really at this point. And one of them, like I said, it was just about aesthetics and influencer brands, lifestyle brands, and, um, you know, selling people their perception. It's like, we're giving them our perception, we're giving them our attention, and they're selling it back to us. Like we're having to buy it back from them. It's really a weird dynamic. And that's all I wanted to say. (laughs) So I will see you guys next Friday. I have episodes every Friday. I did take a little break because I was nestling into London and everything. If you want to hear any topics, um, just DM me on my Instagram. I'll chat about it. I'll do some research. And I'm sure I have a lot to say coming up soon because I'm doing a big um, literature review and I've got a manifesto and some really deep work coming up soon. So I'm excited to share those revelations with you. And I think that's all for today. Bye, guys.